0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. It's the familiarity that we've come to experience with the Christmas story itself, And so oftentimes it lacks the wonder of what really actually happened and what it means for you and for me. I don't know about you, but we typically pull out a nativity scene in our house, and we set it up, and there goes baby Jesus in the manger, and there's Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. and Because we want to be a little bit more biblically accurate, we always put the wise men further away, if you know the inside joke on that one. You know, but it's the same old thing we're doing it again and again, and we sort of forget the significance of why Jesus was born and how that so significantly changes our life. Well, this week, or this Sunday, we are beginning a Christmas series. As we, it's an Advent series as we prepare to celebrate uh, Christ's birth. But the purpose of this series is a little bit different. It's not just to tell the same old Christmas story, but it's to tell the significance of Christ's coming in a new way and a fresh way so we don't get be anesthetized by the same old Christmas. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be working our way through a couple select verses over the next four weeks in the book of Ephesians. And these verses from the book of Ephesians help us understand the significance of who Christ is and what God did for us when Christ came for us. The significance of what all begins in Bethlehem. Now, the passage we're going to look at in Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And then I'd ask you to, to stand and follow along with me as I read this out of God's Word. It's a long passage, but it's a very good passage about Jesus. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That ends the reading of the Word of God, and you may be seated. It's a little bit longer of a passage, but actually this passage breaks apart rather simply, even though it sounds complex. It begins in the verse 3, and it sort of tells us the big picture of this little section, which is that we are incredibly blessed by God through Jesus. And it tells us how blessed we are. And then it tells us how God blessed us in eternity past, how God blesses us in in the present, and ultimately how God will bless us in the future. The big idea of this portion of Scripture is one clear thing. We are blessed, incredibly blessed, through Jesus, which is why we celebrate his birth and that he came. So let's go ahead and begin to work our way through this text. The first thing is the um, sort of header of the section. It says, through Christ, I am the most blessed being in the universe. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed. By Jesus. How blessed are we? We are the most blessed beings in the heavenly places. Now, let me unpack this a little bit for you. We live in an amazingly vast and complex physical world. Just look around you today, We're, we are covered in snow. But you talk to the scientists, and they will tell you that every single flake of snow is unique. It is different. It was made that way by God. He's incredibly amazing and complex to make the snow unique and different. Then the eye. The eye that you use to see that snow and those flakes that are all different. Did you realize how incredibly amazing and complex your eyeball is? The rods and the cones in the back, which there take the different waves of light and somehow translate that all to your brain so you can see an image with clarity and with color. I know oftentimes we hear about Darwin and his uh, theory of evolution, but Darwin himself said that evolution cannot account for the presence of an eye because it is far too complex and intricate. Now, that's just looking around us, the snow and the eye that sees it. But do you realize that you could walk every single day of your life Seeing new creation, places you've never touched or set your foot on before. You could do that for your entire life and never hit the same spot on the planet twice. Because we live in a planet that is that big. And the whole time you were walking around, you'd be seeing fish that God created, animals that God created, birds that God created, mountains and valleys and hills and flowers and... Just all intricately, vastly complex, created by God. You'd never run to the end of it just trying to explore our current Earth. But if you think that's amazing, move beyond our Earth. Move to outer space. Our sun, for instance, in our solar system, do you realize it's 109 times larger than the Earth? That's pretty big. By the way, the good part is they don't have any snow there. But the idea is, look at the size of the sun. God created this sun. It's huge. And you think our sun is big? Try other solar systems. Like there's a sun out there called Antares. And if I get this number correct, Antares is it's 1,400 times wider than our sun So what I want you to understand is this earth, one that we can see, is incredibly vast and complex, created by God. The universe around us is even bigger and even more complex. But that is just the physical world. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel and the gospel of John, there is an equally complex and just as vast spiritual world that exists in parallel to our physical world. And it is not empty. It is populated by spiritual beings, angels, and and demons. There are fallen angels. And it's incredibly vast and amazingly complex. So if you think the physical world, is intricate, beautiful, and complex. Imagine the spiritual world that we cannot see. Now think about what Paul said in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1 again. When you look at yourself in the mirror, when I look at myself in the mirror, we just look like just another human being on the planet. Nothing significant. But in that spiritual world, we have been blessed with every possible spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We cannot be more blessed than we are through Jesus Christ. Understand this. If God wanted to improve on blessing you right now, He couldn't because He's given you every spiritual blessing through Jesus Right now, the Bible tells us we are a little bit lower than the angels. But one day, we will ultimately judge the angels. The angels that are in this unseen spiritual universe that is incredibly vast and complex, we will judge them. Because what does it say? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, Do you not know you will judge the angels? And why will we do that? Because we will be above the angels. Because we are the most Blessed beings in the universe. Now, understand this. We do not deserve any of this according to the Bible. But God loved us. Jesus came for us. Jesus died for us. God the Father adopted us into his family as brothers and sisters of Jesus And ultimately we will reign with and rule with Christ over the entire universe forever. That's your identity as a Christian. And all I can say is, we are blessed, aren't we? We are blessed. Now, how do we know that Jesus uh, is going to carry this out? That that there are not... uh, spiritual beings out there that are higher than him. The scriptures say this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside by nailing it to the cross, and then it says, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities... And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for our sins. But it says here that he conquered the high-ranking fallen spiritual powers. Rulers and authorities are Jewish terms for high-ranking demonic powers. He conquered them through the cross. And as Christians, we are the most blessed beings in the universe. No greater gift could be given to us than what God has given us through Jesus. That's the overview. Now what he does is he's going to go through what this means and he's going to unpack this. He's going to begin with eternity past. Where does this blessing that we receive through Jesus begin? And here's what we see. God the Father chose to bless us in eternity past. In verses 4 through 6: even as He chose us in Him, it says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace which we has blessed us in the beloved. (coughs) Let me just take this apart a few phrases at a time. The first phrase I want to look at is this. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, it says. What the scriptures are saying is in eternity past... Before the world was even created, God purposed to create you, He purposed to create me, and He knew us, and He planned us, and He planned that He would put us and His Son together in eternity past, before the world was created. Now, understand, we did absolutely nothing to deserve this, that we would be put together with Jesus. We didn't physically exist at that time. The world did not physically exist at that time. But in God's master plan for the creation itself, he had already chosen to put us and his Son together. To bless us. And this all begins in the very beginning in God's mind. Now, what did He hope to accomplish? What was He going to do to us to bless us? It says this as it continues on that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And then we see this that God chose us to make us holy and blameless. What this means is God knew before we we're even born that we would be unholy and that we would be sinful. And he knew that we would be spiritually dead. He knew that we would be fully deserving of the lake of fire, but God had a plan, a good plan, a plan to transform us from sinful and unholy to pure and blameless. He was going to transform us and do this all through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this wonderful that God knew that we would be unholy and sinful, but he planned to make us holy and blameless through Jesus? Aren't we blessed? Are we blessed? We are incredibly blessed. We had done nothing to deserve any of this. And the text continues. God chose us because of his love, not because we deserve any of it. The text says this. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus. Now, some people, when they... uh, Think about this, that God chose some people to be uh, his children, to be the object of his affection, to be adopted into his family. They say, well, what God must have done is he looked down the corridors of time and he saw who the really good people were, the really nice people, and he gave them what they deserved. And I have to tell you, that's absolutely not true. True. God chose to put us together with his son because of his love. Isn't that what it says? In love he predestined us. We didn't deserve any of his kindness, didn't deserve any of his blessing, but he chose to shower his love on us. So I want you to realize that if you're a Christian today, you deserve none of the credit. God deserves all of the credit for choosing you and drawing you to his son to save you and to transform you and make you holy and blessed. We are so blessed, aren't we? Now, it continues. Why would God do this? Shower these incredible blessings on us that we don't deserve. And here's the answer it tells us. We are a grand demonstration of God's undeserved grace. That's what we are. Why did God do this? It says, He did all this to the praise of His glorious grace. God did this, adopting us to Himself, choosing us for Himself, saving us, so His kindness and grace would be able to be displayed in the universe. You need to understand that as Christians, we are the greatest contrast that exists in the entire created universe. We deserve the lake of fire. We are sinful. We are selfish. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. The scripture says we are spiritually dead. But in eternity past, God chose to love us. He chose to adopt us. He chose to make us holy, and he chose to make us blameless. You need to understand when it says he chose to adopt us as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who created this entire vast universe, He created the spiritual and the physical world. What could be more blessed than to be a brother or sister of Jesus Christ? That is who we are, my friends. Fully deserving of the lake of fire, yet given the most highly exalted and most blessed place in the universe as adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus We are so incredibly blessed. So all we can do when we understand what Jesus has done for us is sing the praise of his glorious grace that we do not deserve. It's one of the reasons I love when we gather together to worship on Sunday is we sing worship songs. We praise God for his incredible glorious grace to us. And I want you to also understand that for all of eternity, not just will we sing to God of His glorious grace, but all of the angelic beings in the universe will look at us and see the grace that we don't deserve, that we are receiving, and they will also sing to God in praise for His glorious grace that we are the recipients of, that we don't deserve. And where does this grace begin to unfold? When Jesus takes on flesh. When the Son of God also becomes the Son of Man. So we can ultimately be adopted into his family because he is one of us. It all begins in Bethlehem, doesn't it? Which is why we celebrate Christmas. Now I want to ask you, when you look in the mirror... What do you see? Just another C in the face of humanity? Somebody who's not that important, makes a lot of mistakes, somebody who's filled with shame because of their sin? Or do you see yourself as you actually are because of Jesus? One of the most blessed and favored beings in the entire universe. Because of what God has done for us through His Son. And we deserve none of it. And so instead of depression and sadness, there's nothing but praise for God's grace that can come off our lips when we see ourselves for who we really are because of what God has done through His Son. That's just the past. The text continues to tell us about the present. The son, God the Son is the source of my present blessings, with which we, he has blessed us, it says, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Let's walk through this. First thing we see is this, Jesus frees us from the power of sin. It says, he has blessed us in the beloved, that's speaking of Jesus, and in him, speaking about Jesus here, we have redemption through his blood. But what does redemption mean? Redemption is a term that was used in the Roman slave market. Because you were sold into slavery and you could be redeemed out of slavery. Someone would have to pay a price. They would have to buy you to release you so you could go from being controlled by your slave master to being freed from your slave master. And Paul imports this terminology and he says to us, we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. In other words, You and I were slaves to sin. We had no choice prior to Jesus but to sin. We were controlled by sin. You may think you could get away with not sinning prior to Jesus. But all we did was exchange one sin for another sin prior to Jesus. But Jesus comes along and through his death he redeems us from the power of sin. It was a costly price he had to play. It was his own blood. He had to die in our place for our sin to free us from the power of sin. But understand this, because of Jesus, you no longer have to give in to sin. No matter how strong the temptation seems, no matter how good that evil thing looks, No matter what Satan may want to trick you to believe, because of Jesus, you can actually walk away from sin because you are no longer slaves to sin. Jesus is your master. Sin is no longer your master. He has freed you from that. We are so blessed, aren't we? So blessed to have the power of sin broken by the power of God's Son. Jesus also, says, frees us from the consequences of our sin. It says the forgiveness of our trespasses. Understand this, that Jesus forgives all of your sin. It doesn't matter what you have done. Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to forgive you. It doesn't matter how many times you have gone back and done the same thing again and again, and you're filled with guilt and you're filled with shame, you repent and call it to Jesus. He continues to forgive you again and again. The death of Jesus Christ is sufficient payment for all of your sin, no matter what you have done. Jesus' death is enough. But it also tells us about this. Jesus gives us superabundant grace, no matter what our sin. Paul uses this little phrase, according, speaking to his, about God's grace, according to the riches of his grace, which, what does he do? Which he lavishes, or lavished, on us. I love this term, lavished, because it's such a visual term. Has anybody here gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet? Anybody? I hope every hand goes up. This is just a test. To see who's listening. You know, uh, uh, but I actually try to avoid those buffets because gluttony comes out. Because I go to those buffets and you know how you, they don't—they never give you big enough plates. I don't know why. They're always too small, and I start out and I start out, you know, with the macaroni, and then I start out with the shrimp. And then I start piling on the vegetables, because I like vegetables. Most people don't, but I like my vegetables. And next thing you know, I've got ravioli on there, and I'm running out of room. And then you get to the end of the plate, or end of the line. Isn't there that guy who's always cutting meat? When you have no space, he's going to give you this big piece of beef and slap it on top. And I'm the guy who makes the mess on the carpet on the way back from the buffet line going back to his table. That's me. I'm responsible for the carpet stains. But my friends, this is a wonderful picture of the way God extends his grace into our life, isn't it? Grace upon grace, more grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins. He just lavishes his grace on us again and again. He constantly gives us not just salvation, And not just freedom from sin, but goodness, kindness. Has God been good to you? Anybody? Has God given you far more than you deserve? He lavishes grace on us. But you know where this all comes from? His son, Jesus Christ. This is so cool. I love the way it says in Romans 5.20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace abounded all the more. Let me go to the next point. God the Father extends the grace of Jesus at the right time. And by the way, in the right way. Because you know, as Paul says, he gives us this lavish grace with all wisdom and insight what this means is uh even though we are incredibly blessed let's face it most of us are incredibly stressed aren't we god if we're the most blessed beings in the the universe if you love us so much and you've saved us through your son and we're adopted like why is there not enough money in my bank account and there's too many bills why are all these problems and, and difficulties and trials in my life if I am so blessed by you? Why don't you show it to me? Well, God could show it to you like a dump truck. He could just back up and like dump all of this amazing grace that he plans to show to you through his son Jesus Christ. He could dump it on you all at once. But let me tell you something. That would be the absolute worst thing for God to do. He gives us his grace with all wisdom, it says, and insight. He gives us his grace at the right time and in the right way. One way to think of this is, uh, imagine you've been saving for your children to go to college. Let's just take a number out of the air. Say you save 50,000 dollars to help your child go to college. They turn 18. Uh, you could just say, "Here's the check. Here's $50,000. I hope you can manage this to help you get through school for the next four years. How well would that work? You know, don't you? It would not work at all. That $50,000 is lavish amounts of grace, isn't it? But you give it to your children with wisdom and with insights at the right time and in the right way. Because if it was just poured on them all at once like a dump truck... It would be the absolute worst thing you could do to them. And God does the same with us, doesn't he? We need to know that we are the most blessed beings in the universe. But God will give us his grace and blessing with wisdom, the right time and the right way. This means you need to understand that God uses struggles in your life for a reason. Tough seasons are in your life for a reason. Tough seasons, aren't they the ones that develop the most spiritual maturity in us? Aren't tough seasons the ones that cause us to grow in our faith? Aren't tough seasons the things that God uses to teach us to pray, to teach us to trust? You know, it's never until the bottom falls out in our world that we get into our bedrooms and get on our knees and open God's Word, is it? Because it's when we need Him most, that's when we seek Him most. And God is using those trials in our life for a reason to produce spiritual maturity. Because God is not just trying to lavish grace on us, He is trying to form in us the very image and character of Jesus Christ. And He uses adversity to do that. Well, we are blessed, incredibly blessed through Jesus. But God gives that blessing in the right time and the right way. Now we've seen how God blessed us in eternity past, where God the Father chose before creation itself to put us together with His Son. In love He predestined us, it says, for adoption. We've seen how God blesses us in the present, as Jesus comes and He gives us complete forgiveness And he gives us redemption from the power of sin. And we're adopted to be brothers and sisters of Jesus. Now let's work and see how this blessing continues for us that we look forward to in the future. Verses 9 through 14. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him Things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. There are a number of mysteries about God that we will always struggle with. For instance, the Trinity. How do we have one God, yet He exists in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Now, I don't know how that works, but I do know that's what the Bible teaches. How is Jesus fully god and fully man at the same time. I can't totally explain it, but I know that's what the Bible teaches. Another one of the great mysteries is where is history going? How will this world end up? And these verses we just read, I don't know if you noticed it, they answer that question. It's this, history will culminate with all things under the reign and rule of Jesus. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, that's the end, to unite all things in him, whether things in heaven or on earth. This, Vast physical world and the spiritual world will all be united together under Jesus Christ. In fact, the scriptures say this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by him, that's speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven, that's the spiritual world, and the earth, whether visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the one who created everything in the physical world and the spiritual world. And history will end with all things coming back under Jesus' rightful rulership. Ultimately, the scriptures say in Revelation that there will be a new heavens and a new earth where heaven and earth are united and Jesus Christ is large and in charge of the whole thing. And sin and wickedness and the devil and demons will all be banished, consigned to the lake of fire. Now, some of you may say, well, I know what's going on in the lake of fire. Isn't that where uh, Satan's tormenting everybody? Absolutely not. Satan is being tormented in the lake of fire. And Jesus is large and in charge of all things at that moment. And he's even in charge of the lake of fire. Now, here's what's amazing. At that time when history culminates and Jesus. Is in charge and reigning and ruling over the new heavens and the new earth. Guess who reigns with him? We do. We do. We're the most blessed beings in the universe. Adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We reign with Christ and under Christ. We are so blessed. Aren't we? This is what our future is just getting even more blessed through Jesus. And it says this, we are God's chosen inheritance for eternity. It says uh, in the text here, we have obtained an inheritance. But I need to let you know that uh, a number of scholars, as they look at this, the way this Greek word can be put together, it means either to give an inheritance or to receive an inheritance. And it's equally possible to translate this a slightly different way. Instead of us receiving an inheritance... Jesus, you can translate this as we are Jesus's inheritance, or we are God's inheritance. Now, I think that is what makes much better sense, that we are God's inheritance. What that means is that we have been chosen by God from this creation to take with him into eternity as his special chosen piece. Which incidentally is exactly the way that the Old Testament describes Israel. And what this is saying is this is the way that in the New Testament they describe the church. God's special chosen inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 20 says this, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. There it is. As you are this day. Understand, we are so blessed. We are God's chosen inheritance for all of eternity. Not just for eternity past. Not just for eternity present. But all of eternity, his chosen portion adopted to be with his son. Let me say this, God is in charge of world history and our history. He will work everything in life, Paul says, for his praise and glory. Literally, the text says, "...having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first in hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory." What Paul is saying is that we weren't just put with Jesus in the, eye, in the mind of God in eternity past, and so we can guarantee and know that it'll work out in eternity future. But just as God is in charge of our past and our future, God is completely in charge of our presence, and he will work everything out, it says here, according to the counsel of his will. In other words, no matter what is happening in your life today, you need to know God has it under complete control, and God has a good purpose for the challenges and the blessings that you are facing in life. You and I may not be able to understand what God is doing in this moment, but we can trust what God is doing in this moment. He is in complete control of everything, and He has a good purpose for you and for me. It all began in eternity, past. It'll culminate in eternity future, and He has everything in control to get us there on the way. A good example of that goes back to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, remember the story of Joseph? Joseph who was sold by his own brothers into slavery. God, what are you doing? My own flesh and blood sold me as a slave into Egypt. Things are out of control. Actually, they weren't out of control. It's all part of God's good plan to get Joseph to Egypt where he will ultimately save the lives of his brothers and to save the lives of countless others in a famine. Joseph does the right thing. He's falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar of a crime he didn't commit. He's thrown into the slammer. He's suffering for a crime he didn't commit. God, I thought you had everything under control in my life. Why are you allowing me to suffer like this? But then all of a sudden, he ends up time with the baker and the cupbearer. And all of a sudden, he's rubbed shoulders with people. And so at just the right time, and in the right way, he goes from the dungeon room to the throne room in one day. God was large and in charge of every day of his life. And God had a good plan for his life. He could look back and see it, but he couldn't see it going forward. My friends, It's the exact same thing for you and for me. I don't know what you're facing today. It may be a very difficult challenge. But God loves you. He chose you. He will redeem you. You're the most blessed beings in the universe. He has a good plan for you even right now. I didn't say an easy plan. Sometimes there's real trials that go on in the plan. But I guarantee you that when you get to eternity and you look back in a panoramic picture of your life, you will say to God, you had a good plan, and now I see, now I understand what you were doing. And if I was doing it, I wouldn't have done it any different." We need to have that perspective. That helps us as we face eternity future. And then the last point is this God the Father put the Holy Spirit in our hearts when we trusted in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit begins to change us now and is the guarantee that God will bless us in the future. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed, He says, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, till we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How do we know that everything that I just went through in this text is true? That God put you and his son together in eternity past. That through Jesus, you have forgiveness of our sin brokenness from the power of sin that in eternity future will be the most blessed beings of the universe reigning and ruling with Jesus. How do we know this good story is true? Paul says you know it because of the Holy Spirit that God has put into your heart. You see in the Old this world, when you own something, you would always put a seal on something. It was like Texas cattle. You put your mark on it, so it was obviously your stuff and went back to you. What God has done is he's put his mark on us, which is the Holy Spirit's, the guarantee of our inheritance. And this is the way this works. When you and I trusted in Jesus, we asked God to forgive our sins through his Son, Things didn't just change eternally in heaven. But things began to change temporally on earth because he sent his Holy Spirit into your life. And do you remember the changes that started to take place? The people you used to hang out with, all of a sudden you found yourself convicted of. The things you used to do, you could see now with new eyes and you were repulsed by them. The habits you once had, you don't want to have anymore. All of a sudden, you start wanting to go away from a sinful life, and you find yourself with an appetite to want to have a holy life because Jesus is transforming you from the inside out, and you are not doing it. The Holy Spirit is doing it in you. When you look back on the changes at your life that begun now, realize that is only the deposit, that is only the beginning of the changes the Holy Spirit will make in your life for all of eternity. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was given a resurrection body that will not die. That was the Holy Spirit's power, working in God the Son's body. The scriptures say that Jesus' body is the prototype for our body. That one day... Jesus will say the word, and our bodies, when they are dead in the dust, will rise to life to be just like Jesus' body, immortal, lasting forever, not known for weakness, but known for power. That's another installment of what the Holy Spirit is going to do for us in the future. My friends, all I can say is we are blessed. Are we blessed? We are so blessed through Jesus Christ. In the beginning of God's plan to bless us, it begins to unfold when God the Son took on flesh in the womb of Mary and he was born in Bethlehem. Didn't look like much of a scene, but it was the beginning of the story to make us the most blessed beings in the universe, the greatest contrast that will ever be seen in the world between what we deserve and what we get. The only way for us to respond to this is to praise God. Praise God for his glorious, amazing grace and to sing from the bottom of our hearts. Now, we're going to take communion here. And what I'd love you to do as we take communion, I would love you as, the, as the, the bread and the cup is passed, what I would love you to do is I would love you to take um, and hold that bread and hold that cup. And I would love for you to take and thank God, worship God. Thank him for making you so blessed. Thank him for giving you complete forgiveness. Thank you for giving the Holy Spirit in your heart to change you and to remake you. Just worship him for all these things we just talked about because that is the proper response when we've been showered with and lavished with God's immaculate blessing through his son. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.